Welcome back to That's What She Said, the Office podcast. Chris Curtis, how are you? Very well, Lucy. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Big day for you guys with uh, Mutt's Toe. Oh my God, Mutt's Toe. This was the most bizarre week. Well, I don't know. Another bizarre week with Mutt. We get a text, Ken and I, uh, a couple days ago, that says, I feel like I just broke my toe. Then immediately after it, we get a text saying, delete that. That was intended for my wife. Now... First of all, Ken and I and Mutt hadn't texted as a group that day, and I presume he had texted his wife more recently than that. So he would have had to go be past his wife on the text to find us. So this is very suspicious. Right. So suspicious. Yes. He wanted us to find out about his toe so that he had some sympathy the next day walking around, and he could have an excuse to take his small little shoes off and walk around the office. And also, why would you have to delete it? Like, right. what, what kind, why is that something that no one in the world is like, it, whoever, like if someone saw it, it would be a disaster. Like, it's, this is it, not a big deal. And if he really had a pronounced limp and really hurt his toe, we were going to know what we had to delete the next morning anyway. Right. If he, maybe if this plan was thought out a little more, That's... he could have just come in limping <laughs> and you would ask what's wrong. Right. But you're thinking of thinking out a plan beyond the initial moment, which is not much strong suit. So it was a bizarre thing. I... Ken and I were sitting there trying to figure out what the end game was. And then it was like with Oscar trying to figure out the open to the office show before the Dundies when they're like, Michael's looking at himself in the mirror. And he's like, I'm not going to waste my time thinking about it because there really is no other meeting. So there was no other meeting. Right. And this is very much like Michael when he burned his foot on the George Foreman grill. I mean, we'll get to there, but it is. Yes, my... that is in the future. Because in the future. We only know we are now at episode three healthcare. So delete that, that tweet. Is that, delete that from your memory. <laughs> Men in black. Yeah. But yes, that was one of my all-time favorite episodes. Uh, top 10 office episode of all time. Yes, but Mutt did not come in on crutches or with bubble wrap or no, country crock. No country crock. When I mentioned that, he was like, I don't know what you're talking He's about. like, what does that mean? Uh, I'm too cool band. for that. He's definitely seen that episode. Of course. Guaranteed. It's because Jerry dismisses any office reference out of hand, so Mutt playing little Jerry has to immediately dismiss or mock the office podcast or any references I make. To the office on the show, which is unfortunate because, as we both know, it's the greatest show of all time. Exactly. And that's why we're doing this podcast in the first place. Yes. It wouldn't be if it wasn't the greatest show ever, obviously. (laughs) And then Ken has a big weekend. Yes. So Ken tomorrow is going to uh, Foxwoods Red Sox Winter Weekend, Bradfoe and Laird, 3 to 7 p.m. Oh, my God. Live at the casino. Pre-show, Ken is doing a poker tournament. Which, this is going to be like J.D. Martini night when it was just Bradbo and Ken <laughs> and me. And you. We walk in and 617 report hanging out at the bar. Oh, no. So it was a uh, odd scene, but I am. I think Jerry has a perverse desire to sit and listen to Ken and Bradford discuss the Red Sox on the eve of the AFC Championship game. He is giddy for the sound that we will get from it. So I'm sure Bradfoe's got some crazy thing up his sleeve to combine Red Sox, po- uh, Red Sox offseason with Patriots postseason and who knows what else, but I'm sure you're going to hear Mike Lowell. Oh, definitely. You're going to hear Alex Cora. Not Joe Kelly, which is a disappointment for <laughs> Bradfoe. Bradford just found out on his phone that Joe Kelly signed with the Dodgers because he was this flying. This morning. <laughs> he was get, sleeping on a plane. Can't get texts on a plane. <laughs> I literally flew home from uh, Florida on uh, New Year's Eve, and I was, like, texting the whole time. Right. What but he hell? was asleep is the, the main right. point of that, I guess. I but he know. was very angered when we said that you can't text on a plane. Yes. But the video we put together with the predictions was great. That's it was, yes. W-E-E-I yes. Twitter. I thought that my lack of ability to blink was a very cool thing. That was great. 
your prediction and prediction. You had two predictions. My prediction that the Patriots will lose and Gronk will retire right after the game. Very innovative. No one said that ever. <laughs> so I think that uh, I would win something if yes. that happens. And Jason Rossi went on for 40 minutes and yes, picked he, both teams. Jason had the most in-depth, longest version of a prediction. I mean, he got into... Underwear size. Yes. Which I think is going to be a key part of the game. Right. Scuba suit. Everything. <laughs> Scuba Steve. Yes. How many gloves will Brady wear? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So it was a, a big weekend. Everybody in the office has already gone to Foxwoods. I was the only one not invited. Right. Which I thought is part of my new deal. I'd go to all these events. But that's fine. I, I you know. Could have done a live podcast from Foxwoods, but no. I mean, we're close. That's on the way to Scranton. Yeah. I think um, the Red Sox would appreciate it. They would have loved it. Really, it really matters to them. My good friend Sam Kennedy, we could have hung out. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's a great guy. <laughs> the best. Oh, man. So, yes. Yeah, so, um, with Mutt's Toe, we think healthcare is an apt uh, episode for yes, today. Perfect the, timing for the episode. Going on of this week. Yes. He's currently in the ER, so God bless you, Mutt. Yes. So, hopefully, he has this kind of healthcare, but not the kind <laughs> that Dwight is proposing. Oh, my God. This episode is where Dwight comes out of of his shell and where we see Dwight as a person and as a very like primal to the point just very not compassionate at all person right he within this episode you see him sees whatever shred of power Michael bestows upon him and exaggerate it to the nth degree so which is a sort of foreshadowing for later in the office Michael offers uh, Jim a position within the company to pick the healthcare plan because Michael knows it's going to be bad news and Michael can't handle being disliked in the office. Jim, as is, as he'll do later to um, the head of Sabre, says, no thanks, I'm fine, and then is punished because Dwight takes over and picks the worst possible plan imaginable yes and when michael proposes this to jim jim says a line that could be used by other people in the future that i may use one day and he says that sounds like a task that i'm not going to do (laughs) the way he says it is very good and um he says i think i should focus more on sales and michael said really (laughs) (laughs) michael's dumbfounded is a business of sales (laughs) (laughs) really (laughs) and michael and jim doesn't view this as we've seen in the first two episodes, as a career. He views this as a paycheck, and the only thing that matters to him inside of Dunder Mifflin and Scranton is the receptionist. Yes. Everything else is a means to an end for a salary with healthcare, which we'll see kind of sucks. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully, but also FaceTime with the person he loves. Absolutely. And there is one moment there where he's talking to Pam, and uh, uh, I almost called him Steve Carell. Um, (laughs) Michael comes up behind him. I don't know why I did that. Probably because a beautiful boy. Right. Um, which is a great movie. Very good. Um, and uh, so uh, Michael comes up behind them and is like, Jimbo. <laughs> and Jim rolls his eyes. And he's like, why are you interrupting me? I just want to talk to Pam, but doesn't let him see that. Right. And Michael is just desperate to get this task that Jan has put on him off his hands. He, right. he says, I don't want to you know, give bad news to, the, uh, to my workers because he wants them to like him. Right. That's the main thing. And Jan says, well, that's as, as a manager, that's your job. And he said, well, when have you ever had to do that? She says, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> right. It's, it's this sort of this dichotomy for Michael because the position provides him power over other people. And that is hugely important to him. But equally as important to Michael is being liked. Right. And this is this position where it's no win. He has the power. The power has given them this responsibility. And he knows there's no easy answer. So he has the one person he has the most power in. The most power over in the office is Dwight. Mm. So he 
pushes this onto Dwight, and the results are awful for everyone. Right. He wants to use this power that he has to get people to like him or to make sure that people like him. So he puts it on Dwight, who then he says, if Dwight fails, then I'm not the person who trained him. But if he succeeds, then he is, you know, my, my mentee. Right. My protege. And so the, the thing is with Michael, he, at the beginning of this episode, says, I provide for these people. I give them food. I, do, I give them money, which gives them food. And basically... It's his view that he's the father. And the and, doctor. He said, I'm basically the, like a specialist. Right. He's their like life specialist who provides all the good things in their life, and he wants nothing to do with anything negative that happens to them. So it's a real sort of view into the character in the show because everything he does from that point on is he wants attention, he wants power, but he needs to be liked more than anything else. And when these moments come up, he's backed into a corner and literally has no answer. Right. And we also see that he never forgets that he's on camera. He goes up to Pam in the beginning and uh, said, like, Pamela Ding Dong, making, co- making copies. <laughs> and then he, um, he, she's, he said, like, well, um, how many, like, what are the messages? And she said, we don't, there aren't any new messages. And uh, she said, do you want me to repeat the old messages for the, she points to the camera. Right. So the camera's always there for them. And Michael knows that. Right. And th- that is something that first time through, I didn't notice. Me too. Same. So when I watched it back this week, I was, I, I was, um, I don't know why I, d- I never picked up on it, but I never really hit me that they had already done this. Michael's performing and Pam wants no part of it. But the other thing with Jim and Dwight at the start of this episode where Jim says, no, it's not something I would ever do. And Dwight says, of course, mm-hmm. let me have my office turns into temporary workspace, workspace. <laughs> um, is the juxtaposition of Jim and Dwight. Dwight views this as the greatest achievement, and he is working towards a goal within Dunder Mifflin to become Michael. Mm -hmm. Jim views Michael as the person he least respects and wants no part of being. And the second he starts doing things, going down a path of becoming Michael, he recoils and is like, I can't do that. So they are, Jim and Dwight are polar opposites in everything, but most importantly, in the way they view their work at Dunder Mifflin. Exactly. And in this episode, we have two things going on simultaneously we have Dwight with the healthcare. Uh, happening so then at the same time Michael is trying to plan a surprise and the weird the the thing about this that you realize kind of at the end is that Michael is trying to avoid picking the health care so that people don't like him where he actually makes them not like him more because he promises a surprise instead to make them feel better and then doesn't come through on it in the end and they're all mad at him which they would have been anyway if he picked a bad health care plan right not only was it not helped it was exacerbated and made worse because he didn't come through on anything. Right. The healthcare obviously is most important. They get basically a pay decrease. And then to put salt in the wound, he throws ice cream ice sandwiches, sandwiches at people and ends the day with nothing and people just walk out pissed off. But the I love I don't know why I love this, but it just it shows you another part of Michael's character where he's going to the travel agent and it's like he's never left Scranton. He's yeah. never done anything. Like he's sitting down with this guy like they keep showing Spain and, like, right. Egypt on the wall. And he's like, yeah, they have these casinos that Atlantic send buses City. from Atlantic City. Free chips, free hotel. Everything's just free, comped. <laughs> and he said, you should just call the casinos directly. And Michael said, I already did. <laughs> so he's hoping a travel agent would somehow magically have some kind of deal. He'd go in and be like, oh, sure, of course. Like, we could do that. Right. Like, it's just, Michael, yeah, he doesn't, he's so desperate to to 
he's so desperate to make them happy that he calls a, a mine place <laughs> oh, and, like so great. industrial uh, coal like industrial coal elevator to, <laughs> to a free fall or uh, it's a very slow uh, ride trail. down 300 feet into a mine <laughs> okay like, laser tag down there laser <laughs> tag. but what was good too in this episode was there's a little bit more of the Kevin Angela dynamic yes because when Michael um, gives the details with or when Dwight gives the details of the new plan and Michael says oh no you know this what are you doing right. you know, kind taking of, the blame off of him taking the blame off of him Oscar says to Michael and Dwight like what are you doing this isn't great and they just break it off Michael walks away and they end the conversation as they're leaving and going back to their desk Angela bitches to Oscar about not standing up to him and is very bitchy in that moment but obviously doesn't want to act she right. says you let him walk all over you and then we see the smarts of Kevin in this episode because he accurately points out to Angela and Oscar when they're sort of um, complaining about the fact that Michael's never going to leave his office. Kevin says he's got to leave sometime, you know, to take a shit or go to the bathroom. <laughs> to go to the bathroom. And then he like <laughs> snickers a little. Right. But that's the one time they catch him. Right. And then Angela, well, that is true. And then Angela says, Kevin, that's inappropriate. Right. And so you can tell she's an uppity person who's kind of, you know, doesn't yes. like any of that stuff. Hates the fact that this guy's her boss, but just would rather complain about it than do anything yes. herself. But the uh, but the scene of, of Michael exiting the bathroom and Oscar's waiting there. Yes. So and he, Meredith, too, so which Oscar we don't and, see much yet, but right. there she is. We see her a little bit in this episode. Yeah. Uh, when Oscar comes out, uh, or when Michael comes out of the bathroom, Oscar took Kevin's advice because he was waiting right there That's to right. greet him. See, Kevin is actually really smart right. at so, gambling. Smart at gambling? Not at math. <laughs> he was on Dallas. Yeah, um, right. Uh, so, yeah. So that was a, a different sort of a thing that I also didn't really recognize my first time watching. It was going back and seeing the sort of interaction with them. And we get another moment in the episode where they are discussing the different ailments yes. that were written we down. <laughs> we see Meredith, who says yeah. that I still have a vagina. Yes. We find out that she had a hysterectomy, right. which means her uterus was removed, not her vagina. <laughs> Um, you can't really remove, I mean, you could, but like not, you know, from inside. But anyway, so, he, so we find out that because, um, they, Dwight had them write down their illnesses right. so that they can be covered by healthcare. This is just like the wildest thing. Like this does not, this cannot be how it works. And Dwight doesn't understand it. Michael clearly does not understand right. how healthcare for a business works. And Jim jumps in when, when Dwight is doing this, he goes, isn't this, uh, confidential? <laughs> He's like, I didn't ask you to put your name on it. <laughs> So, like, you wouldn't know at all, like, right. that Kevin has anal fissures. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a real thing. <laughs> yes, Nobody it has is. that. Somebody has it. <laughs> I think Kevin has it. I think that's what, that's, even though they didn't put his name on it, that's how it, it went. But the idea from Dwight to have to list all your ailments provides us another moment with Jim and Pam. Yes. Where they team up twice in this episode to pull a prank on Dwight. First is to work on creating these dental crazy yeah, hydro plo- oh i wrote it down too on my notes we both did notes today Great um, notes. hydro dentro uh oh spontaneous hydro dentroplosion right. he comes up with that off the top of his head impressing pam right so they have you can see they each have qualities that make the other better or funnier they work well together yes and i wrote this down in my notes mm-hmm. how they both make their horrible workplace more tolerable together yes that alone they're miserable but when they, when they have those moments at work they can Smile and get things done. So I noticed that. And then the second time during the episode that they worked together was when Jim goes in and confronts Dwight in his temporary workspace, takes the keys, locks the door. So Dwight is locked in. 
Dwight then calls Jim. Jim calls Pam or Pam calls Pam, Yes, yes. And so, like, Jim says, I have to put you on hold, and right. then Pam calls him. And they just have this talk about nothing. <laughs> like, oh, you go to the mall? The mall this weekend? Oh, good. I'm not bothering you, am I? No, no, no. And Dwight is banging on the window. And Pam plays it perfectly, and you can tell how happy they are. She actually looks at the camera at the end. I never noticed this, but she looks at the camera and smiles. Like, she, like this is, you know, this is funny. Right. So it's another, the camera's there. Right. We and know that. And you can tell that she's happy, genuinely happy to to be working with with Jim and getting this yes, done. So the first episode, you have that her putting her head on uh, Jim's shoulder, and then right. this episode, you have at least two or three different moments where they are obviously doing more than just like the colleague type of interaction. Exactly. So then they, uh, everyone kind of makes up. I guess they're the only two that made up diseases, like uh, the robot nano robot <laughs> infection or something. And so as Dwight is reading them, he comes out and he's like, who did this? Who wrote this? Who's like, whose funny idea was this? And he's reading them. And I noticed Angela is laughing. Yes. that was So she act- mm, wrote that, that too. Yes. Great minds. So yeah, so she's laughing, which shows she does have a sense of humor about these things. And it's interesting because of the future of her and Dwight, but she's laughing kind of at how ridiculous Dwight is being and how funny this is because of that. And you even see the byplay with Kevin yes. laughing and pointing at her like, see, you're yeah. laughing like, you know. the. the so up- possibly did she write it? Ooh. If he pointed at her. But maybe, maybe he's just thinking like, oh, you're laughing at this. That's right. funny. Because you said was this like... was inappropriate before. <laughs> Hypocrite. <laughs> yes. But after this, what I loved was J- uh, Dwight calling Jan and attempting to fire Jim. So Dwight calls Jan, somehow has her cell phone number. Michael is off trying to get a trip down a mine elevator shaft to help celebrate or help provide a su- surprise for the people at the office. And so Dwight calls Jan and he says, may I please fire Jim? And she's like, who is this? And he says, I'm acting manager of Dunder Mifflin. And she's like, where's Michael Scott? <laughs> and he just gets beaten down. I mean, Dwight really is as, I mean, he has the most thankless job in the office. I mean, everybody hates him. He gets no real power. Whenever he tries to do anything outside the box, Michael either mocks him or Jim you know, puts him back in his place. Right. And so it was a... A really good sort of 90-second moment on the show where he calls Jan all ready to, you know, take this little semblance of power that was provided to him by Michael to do the health care <laughs> to fire his biggest adversary in the office, and he has no chance. Right, and he just keeps saying, can I fire Jim? And she's like, absolutely not. Don't ever call me on my cell phone <laughs> Never again. Never use this number again. And then another funny thing. So Michael walks in from the travel agent, and uh, Dwight is in the conference room locked in there. Like, Jim had locked him in with the keys right. and everything. And Michael walks by, and he's just like, oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and then he's like, my plan is just deteriorating because Dwight is banging on the window. And he's like, Michael. And he's just like, oh, for Christ's sake. Right, the one person that he was hoping would make the stress go away and take care of the situation has made everybody pissed off and is somehow locked in his temporary workspace. Exactly. And that's when, you know, he comes out and, and Michael said, oh, did Dwight pick a great plan? And they say, no. And then Oscar says it's basically a pay decrease. And Michael said, oh, Dwight, why would you do that? <laughs> and he says, I didn't tell you to cut it. He's like, yes, you did. And then Michael just quickly goes into his office and tries to hide for the rest of the day. Right. And then we see, so Dwight um, is consolidating power while Michael's away in the conference room where he's at the table. Right. And he has moved the table to the front of the room where just he is sitting and then everyone else is sitting in chairs. And he goes through all of the ailments and so i guess people did write their real problems like um kevin and his anal fissures and so (laughs) then he he reads them out and you raise your hand and that's what jim said isn't this an invasion of privacy and dwight said you lost your privacy privilege when you made up those fake diseases (laughs) so then he yeah 
yeah, his hysterectomy was uh, Meredith. My favorite earlier in the episode is when he's reading off the fake diseases, and Jim's like, "Ooh, that sounds tough. Oh, that's rough." Like that was great, <laughs> off the cuff type of humor that Jim obviously you know is great at on the show. But it yes. was a uh, early scene into that. And one thing at the end of the show that really got me was the uh, oh, sorry, one before that, Michael's ice cream sandwiches. Another classic case of him totally underestimating the room, not understanding what's going on in the office, tone deaf, and he's just chucking these ice cream sandwiches around. And before he could even give one to someone, Stanley says, this better not be the surprise. We've had a really rough day. And he's like defeated. He's like, no, no, there's more coming. Yes, you know, and he's just chucking them at Phyllis. And- so Kevin, he threw it at Kevin and Kevin's like reaching over <laughs> his head. But it's very like it's very uh, classic uh, comedy, which is Michael's forte. We find out that he is very into comedy and improv. And when he's backed into a corner is when he comes alive, right. he says. So he, he said, I learned improv from the, the greats like Ryan Stiles and Drew Carey. So clearly <laughs> He watches Whose Line Is It Anyway? Of course. But you wouldn't is... know who Ryan Stiles is unless you watch that. Right. I used to watch that in middle school or whatever. I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway. Yes. So that, so when I heard that, I was like, well, it's funny. But then I'm thinking, who would... That's why it's funny. It's like the, the greats like right. Ryan Stiles. Well, he also mentions Robin Williams. Robin Williams. That was my favorite. He's like, oh, I'd love to go head to head with him. He's like, I'm Mork from Spork. And he's like, I'm Mork from Mork. <laughs> it's just such a classic moment for him where it's like, he is the biggest boob you will ever meet in your <laughs> he life. He thinks he's so funny. Like, he has no conception of how dumb he is, of how other people perceive him. And just his general interaction and point of view is as 180 degrees away from what reality is as possible. Exactly. He's like, I like to think of myself as a student of comedy. <laughs> and this is where we find out that he's into improv and comedy. And, and we see later Bob Hope, and right. but not Amanda Bynes. So. <laughs> right. I can't wait till we get to that one. But he, so, um, yeah, so he, um, then at the end when he, he says, when I'm backed into a corner is when I come alive. And then it goes to the scene where they're all waiting for him to come up with a surprise. And he's like, uh, and he's just kind of, and people just slowly start leaving. And that's when he's backed into a corner and he has nothing to say. So he's in the moment where he says that he's this brilliant guy on his feet and he has nothing to say. And in this moment. You really get the sort of nonverbal acting from Jim and everybody just leaving and just disgust. And you can tell that this isn't the first time that Michael has let the office down. Like, this, if this was a one-off, you know, whatever, maybe you forgive him. You know, maybe it's not as big of a deal. But it looked like a beaten room. Yes. Of people just being like, how much more of this bullshit can we take? Right. And the most disappointing part, I think, for anybody who was there is that Jim is mad. Because when Jim is mad, usually he plays along, he's fine. But he was genuinely upset. Right. And I don't, I can't figure out if he was upset about the healthcare, if he was upset with Michael, upset. I don't know if he was genuinely, genuinely upset that there was no surprise because that wasn't like, they're not children. So it's not that, but I, I feel like he was just upset that I mean, maybe the healthcare, I don't know, or in Michael and Dwight themselves. I think it was sort of his reality of work. Oh, that, that's true. You're right. Yes. At the end of it where it's like, you know. This is where I work. This is where I'm, you know, it already sucked this morning and now they're taking away my health care and I still work for this idiot. I think it's sort of disgust for the person of Michael and the person of Dwight. Not yes. so much like I'm sure his health care bothered him, but I think it was just like he has to deal with these imbeciles on a daily basis. And it was great for times during the show. He was happy when Pam and when he and Pam were messing with him. But then with it becomes Dwight. real. Right. That's but then in the point. end it became real. The day's over and you got to go home. And I yeah. think it, at the end of most episodes. Or at the end of the episode, he's done with Pam. That's true, too. She left. And so it's the weekend. She's going with Roy to the mall, and he's not going to be with her. And earlier in the episode, before Michael rudely interrupted them, he was talking to uh, Pam about 
does she watch? Uh, oh, um, trading spouses. Trading spouses, yes. and um, and she said, "No, I have a, a life. life." And he says, "Oh, what's that like?" So obvious moment True. that he, outside of work, doesn't have a life or anything to do. Right, and then he had a great line: "Who would watch my TV?" Right. I still use that line. It's like, a good one. That who would watch? I my think TV? I used that in college like ten times. All right, exactly. <laughs> You're going out? No, I gotta watch TV. Yeah, who would watch it? Who would watch it? Be lonely without me. But then, yeah. So then, um, then they they find out during the episode that it's a terrible plan. Like Stanley's like, "Oh, it's a twelve thousand twelve hundred dollar (laughs) deductible." Like what? So we never really find out if that gets resolved. But the final line is Dwight saying to Michael, "Jan uh, called." Right. Like, she wants you to call her. I love when Jan's like, and have Michael call me when he gets back. Okay, Jan. (laughs) Okay, Jan. Back from where? Back from the travel agency. Right, like back from the mines. Right, the mines. <laughs> it's a free fall. And he would do it, too. He would say, like, all right, everybody, let's go down. But it'll it, be fun. But one positive for Michael is that it wasn't total bullshit. If he could have gotten something for free, he genuinely wanted to make the office happy. Yes. It was that his ineptitude was too much for him to overcome and find something that would match just how poorly treated his employees were. Exactly. He genuinely wants them to be happy. Right. And that's why he wanted them to have the gold plan. Right. But Jan said, I'm not even on the gold. He, he doesn't understand that healthcare for a business costs money. You can't just pick a plan and it's just there. It's not like he's the dad and he can just provide as much right. as he like wants. Right, like massages, acupuncture. <laughs> oh, you got to check this out, Jan. Jan is like, the point is to save money. <laughs> He doesn't get it, but he. But um, she said there there is no plan like that, and he's like, "You got to crack these open. Yeah, you haven't seen you the really got to give plan. these a look, Jen." <laughs> so he's putting that on her, right. like he's the smart one, right? And the funny one, and the comedian, and the improv, and, and he's you know like Robin Williams, exactly. Yeah, when he's backed into a corner, he is. He's yes. like Mutt when Mutt's backed into a corner. That's when he comes alive. He really does. He puts his shoes on. Yes, it's like Michael said one time in a. A later episode where he talks about how um, his teacher said that he was like he's like when when people criticize me that's when I again he says I come alive like he um, like got an F in math once and he said the next day I scored the most goals that the hockey team has ever <laughs> seen I can come back from this nothing no, with math no correlation to math right so yeah. that we see that throughout the series where right. he thinks he is great in tight situations because maybe like a Todd Packer is Todd right. Packer can come up with perverted stuff off the right. top of his head exactly and Michael doesn't really have that he just laughs a lot which is why he admires Todd Packer so much despite the fact that he's an awful human being exactly because he thinks Todd Packer's a comedian because he has skills that he Michael's never had exactly quick-witted and other things yes like the jello thing right where that we see that again where uh Michael's tries to come up with a jello joke and he can't <laughs> off the top of his head which is his strength right, he's Ryan like a can. Ryan Stiles and, Ryan <laughs> and Drew Carrier boy would I go love to go head-to-head with him and later we will see that Michael loves going to his improv class but the yes. people of the improv class Aren't as big of a fan of Michael. Yes, but that yes, that is. I can't wait till we get to these. Like the meat of the series is is great, but these are great at establishing the characters. Right, we have we know more about Meredith than we ever wanted to. That's true. Um, Dwight, we see, um, is a he's power hungry, but also so is Michael, but in a way that he just he wants to be liked. Right, I think. And the other thing was, oh, another quick um, note was the uh, just the, the quick thing with Dwight where. Pam and Jim are arguing with Dwight for why he made such drastic changes to the health care plan. And Jim says, well, you work here. Don't you want good health care? He's like, I've got a perfect immune system. I've never been sick. And then he tells Pam that he can raise, raise and lower his cholesterol. cholesterol. And she says, why would you want to do that? He's like, 
she said, why would you want to raise your cholesterol? And he's like, so I can lower it. And they're like, okay. There was no response. They just leave the room. So just the weirdness of Dwight is shown very well. Yes, we see that he's very, we don't really know that he grew up on a farm yet, but we can kind of see that he is very practical and very like in the wild there is no healthcare. Healthcare is oh I broke my leg and a lion <laughs> eats me. Eat my lion. Right. So he he kind of he has that very practical like well you know every man for himself kind of thing. Right. Where it's like you know the fittest survive right. is his really his mentality. Um and yeah we see that this, so he's the, you know not the perfect person to put in charge of healthcare. Correct. Picking that. Not the perfect person to put in charge of anything, anything. where anybody else's <laughs> desires are needed to be considered. Right. And there was another time where Michael looked at the camera when he's like we're going on op- oh he said I'll I'll show you something come with me and he said we're going on operation surprise <laughs> and so we, they come with him so he's like and he all right and he missed the doorknob yes. he like <laughs> It's like, I'm going to show you who I really am to Grab the camera. Grab jacket, couldn't open the door, then he leaves. <laughs> Operation Surprise. So he's like on a mission. He's going to save the... He like I think in his mind, he runs the company. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's like, I got to save the company and make right. these people feel better. The people's wellness in every aspect of their life that work there are reliant on him taking care of them. Yes. And, and like giving him food and he's like, not, not through the, through the money, not directly. But, <laughs> but I'm their doctor and yes. I give them food. Like a specialist. <laughs> And Jan, Jan is just fed up with him. Oh. But we again, why is he, I guess because he's good at sales, because he saves, the, he said he saves the company money and that's why he's still in his position, really. Right. And this is his job is to save the company money through this healthcare plan. And he just, he has to delegate that to someone else because right. he doesn't want that on him. He's he's a neurotic weirdo, but somehow it works there. And we'll find out later that they even try and take some of Michael's ideas of that's how he true. runs the business. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And did we want to do Beautiful Boy? Oh, sure. All? Oh, yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, beautiful boy. Health care. Health care. So, Steve Carell Mm -hmm. uh, uh, plays the role of a father whose son is addicted to crystal meth. And it is, I said this on the show, it's not really like Saturday afternoon before going out Saturday night kind of movie, but it is the most, I will say, honestly, from someone who's lived rehab and other things, the conversations in this movie were word for word what I had with my parents. Mm-hmm. Like, almost, like, the first thing, there's a scene where um, they finally get um, uh, Steve Carell's son into rehab. And um, they, the woman who runs the rehab facility is talking to Steve Carell. And the first question or second question Steve Carell asks, what's the uh, success rate? And it's, like, the biggest buzzword when I went to rehab my parents were like, what, you know, what, what is the success rate here? Like, how do I know he's going to be better? And like, they never tell you because the real success rate of people who are suffering from addiction is like eight or 9%. Yeah. And so they don't tell the, the patients that because they don't want the patient to be like, there's no point. Yeah. And they don't tell the parents that because why would they spend the 50 grand to send them to rehab right. or, you know, whatever. But it was unbelievable how um, perfectly they capture that. And it was just like the movie was painful. It was tough to watch, especially someone who went through it. But it was like it was incredible how they they show the family side because mm-hmm. Steve Carell's got uh, two kids with a different wife. Mm-hmm. But and, then his wife in the movie is Holly. Right. His wife office. in the movie is Holly, yes. which was so weird. I know. It was like, OK, so this is Michael Scott later on. And right. what happens like, to him? Is this him? the search? Are they going to find each other like right. at a Chinese restaurant? Right. But he died so much. <laughs> 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 but like it was um I love that scene. That's so great. <laughs> Creed's pictures it all so over. So much. 
<laughs> tries to pawn off he his watch. He died to dash, but he died so much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, but beautiful boy. Oh my god, um, that's so funny. That's so great. <laughs> The face of the guy at the Chinese restaurant. It's so funny the face. He's just exasperated. Like, I died so much. Because Michael finished his meal and he's like, I don't have any money. I could have just left. (laughs) But I told (laughs) him. He's trying to get the... Oh, Yes. We will get to that for sure, too. Oh, my God. Um... (laughs) Beautiful boy is a real laugh, right? So, oh, um, but yeah, no, the conversations were so real, and Steve Carell did an amazing job with awesome. this. I mean, he just he was so I he was just such a sweet guy in this that you just your heart is you're just like gutted for him right. that he has to deal with this. And the conversations, like, because you had said that before, like I watched it after you had said that, like the conversations that you had had, and like the one in the diner, I kind of thought like, well, maybe something like that, where right. this uh, the the so Nick says. Um, like I didn't want it to go this way. Like when we're talking, like right. I wanted it to be good, but like I can't help it because we're fighting over this thing that like I can't control, but I want to. But that's just you know how it is, and you know. Right. No, that scene is like everybody, or I don't know everybody, myself, and many people I've spoken to um, who were active in addiction. You have this family member, your father, your mother, who's sitting there and is like on their last hope. And they're just looking at the sun and they do this amazing job throughout the movie flashbacks to when he was this pristine, cute little kid. He looks like the actor now, too. Oh, it's unbelievable. They're like three stages of him, like teen, uh, young, a little bit younger and then like as a kid. Right. And he looks the same. It's amazing. And they had this, you know, the scene in the diner, which is probably the most powerful moment in the movie. And, you know, he, um, Nick wants the money. And he's like, I can't, I can't, the father, uh, Steve Carell's like, I can't give you money. And they just are like, why, there's anger on the parents that is palpable. Yeah. And there's this frustration and just hopelessness in the, in the body language and in the, the voice of the addict. And it was like, because I can tell you, those conversations, like when you're an addict, you're like out to lunch and you get into a screaming match in a public place because you're impossible to pin down. So like your father will sit down with you and you finally have FaceTime with him and he'd be like, what do I have to do? What can I do? Why? We had a great relationship. You were a great kid. Like, when did this change? Like, and then the kid's sitting there like, I didn't want to do this. It's not what I chose. This is just my life. Like, deal with it. And it's just this. Oh my God! It right. was unbelievable. And then the beginning, where uh, Steve Carell says, "Like this kid who I raised, who I knew so well, who was a great kid, and I don't know who he is anymore." Right. It's just heartbreaking. Right. It's and absolutely that, heart-wrenching. And it's true. It's like because that's what it does. You turn into someone who literally is singular focused on what the substance is. Right. Nothing else matters, and you'll even steal from your half brother and sister. Eight dollars. Like eight as dollars. even if it's just eight dollars. Right. It's yeah. It's, and it's so like, desperate. It was um but he um Connor Shell, is that his name? Or I, Shell? The um the one the boy. Is it I don't know what his name is. Anyway, yeah, I can't remember. He um he is I think seven or eight years sober now. Okay, okay. Um and because it was based on a true story. There's right. a book about it. But it was um, It's called Tweak, right? The book? Yes. Okay. 
So, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, I highly recommend it. It's, as I said, it's not something that is, um, I mean, maybe for people who haven't lived with it, it's not, I don't know, but it was, um, it's, it's incredibly powerful and it's, um, it's also weird though. It's not really uplifting. No, cause the end, I mean, the end isn't like, there's no happy ending. Right. Really. I, I was like, it's I just, know. it's more of a, a snapshot of a journey than right. it is like, there's no, nothing is tied up at the end. Right. And the other thing is, is that like all of these, like I'm lucky in a way because I never, I drank, 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 almost died. And then I haven't drank. And so there hasn't been like prolonged periods of sobriety versus not. But like, I can only imagine like, cause you have Steve Carell in the movie, like giving his son a urine test when he yeah. randomly showed up, like how he had these 400 days and then he relapsed and just sort of the, like the, the way that they capture, but the way that Steve Carell captures the physical exhaustion of having a child in addiction was unbelievable yeah he was amazing he was amazing just he but also throughout the whole thing just very sweet and because he's such a sweet guy and like just wants his son to be better through the whole thing you just you, i'm like absolutely heartbroken and the him. red eye yeah so he gets the call oh my that god his yeah. son, this was like unbelievable where he gets a call um from the hospital in new york mm-hmm. that his son is in icu has or, od'd has yeah. od'd and so he drives to the airport, takes the red eye, and he's they're telling him to turn his phone off while he's like trying to figure out if his son's alive. Like and then imagine that you have to be your phone is off for six hours. Right. Oh my god. And then he gets there and gets to the hospital and is told that his son involuntary or whatever, um against doctor's orders. Discharged against doctor's orders. Ten or fifteen minutes before. So you're if st- I had been there ten minutes earlier. That kind of thing. Right. It's, just, it's unbelievable. And, and it you, shows the lengths he would go. I mean, your parents do. Like, how right. far they will go to, to save you. Right. It's like, you know, and that's, you know, that was for me. My parents found out I was in the ICU and flew up from Florida. Right. And it's like, God, it was just, it's very, you, you really consume yourself when you're the one who is re- in recovery or rehabbing and getting better. And families do a very good job of not really showing you how much stress they're under because you are already trying to do something that's really difficult. They don't want to put that on you. But it was very, very uh, eye-opening to sort of see that vantage point um, from, you know, from someone who went through it and didn't really see their parents, obviously, because you were out of it or in the hospital or at rehab. But Mm -hmm. it was a a unbelievable, unbelievably powerful movie. Right. It didn't seem like they glamorized anything or they got really into it. And another cool thing. Sorry. um, The the moment where they... um, where Steve Carell meets the meth user um, yes, randomly on the street. That's on the right. Street. Yes, and they like go and they sit down, and he's she's like, well, I don't want to. She says something that was offered to her, and it's yeah. Anyway, and so they sit down, and um, he's just trying to get close to someone who's like his son mm-hmm. to further understand the mindset of what goes into this, and exactly. it was just this like, I mean, I don't know if that really happened uh, or not, but it was like this, the the, the lengths that he would go to try and get closer to his son or to further understand what was going on. Yeah, he it? went to the doctor and like, or I forget if it was a doctor or whatever, but the, the um, CAT scans of right. brains of people who take crystal meth and right. how your brain is screaming for more. Right. And you and the nerve endings are damaged and you, they have to grow back. But is there, you know, will there ever be right. time for them? Or you need to have prolonged relapse. sobriety for that to happen. Exactly. And and it's, it's just, just so it, painful. It's it, it's unbelievable. It is crazy. But yes, yeah. so anyway. Um, recommend it. Highly recommend it. And we gave a lot away, but if you, believe me, if you watch it, it's... You kind of know the story because it's based on a true story anyway. But they do a great job, so it's still worthwhile. Good job, Steve. Yes, great job, Steve. And if you're ever in town, we got a podcast. We sure do. And he's got other stuff coming up that we can talk about next time. Yes, with Space the Al- Space Force with the Alliance next time. Yes. Yes, so come back next time. We'll see you then. Hey.